Good morning, Brookwood. Oh, you can do better than that. Good morning, Brookwood. Hey, I'm so glad that you are here this morning. Happy Independence Day weekend. My name is Josh Masters. I'm the associate care pastor here at Brookwood Church. And this morning we're going to be continuing our series on the book of James. We're actually on part 11 of the series. Specifically, we're going to be looking at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So you can go ahead and turn or swipe to that passage in your Bible. And we'll get to it in just a moment. Brookwood Church, and really the Christian life, is all about connecting with God. Having an experiential and personal relationship with Jesus so we can be transformed to be more like him. But the thing that impedes that process more than anything else is pride. You see, we can't connect with God when there's pride in our hearts. And the fruit of pride is bragging. That's what today's passage is going to be focusing on. We're going to have to ask ourselves some tough questions this morning. See, the real question behind this issue of bragging that we're going to be talking about is this. Whose path are you choosing? Uh, are we seeking our own path? Or are we seeking God's path for us? Are we going down the path God wants for our life? Or are we trying to strike out on our own? So you have to choose one of those two paths. You can't walk both paths. And this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning in James gives us some important reminders as we're making that decision about which path we're going to take. Specifically, we're going to be looking at four of them this morning in our outline that's inside your bulletin. But before we do that, there's some tough things to talk about this morning. Let's go before God again and ask him to prepare our hearts. Father God, we thank you that you are not a God that leaves us where we are. We thank you that you're a God who loves us for who we are and where we are, but you don't leave us there. That you transform us. And so, Lord, as we look at this topic this morning, I pray for each one of us that you would break our walls down, change our perspectives so that you can change our hearts. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be transformed and that we would hear what you have to say this morning, not to us just corporately, but individually. Speak to us and let us know what you want to say to us and start with me. We pray this in the name of Christ, who is our King and Savior. Amen. Okay, let's look at our passage. We'll look at the whole passage together. And then we'll break it down verse by verse together. We're in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Now, 
if someone walked up to you and said, is pride and bragging good for your relationship with God? Most of us would say no, right? I mean, most of us know that pride and bragging is not good for our relationship with Christ or with God or for other, with other people for that matter. But here's the problem. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We don't always recognize the pride in our lives. And we certainly don't always recognize when that pride gives way to bragging. So what is bragging? To me, this passage is actually a little bit surprising at first. Let's take a closer look at verse 13. Verse 13. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and we'll make a profit. Hmm. This verse doesn't really seem like it's about pride and bragging, does it? Not at first. I mean, I don't understand if, if the verse said, look here, you who say, I am awesome. I am the greatest. That's what bragging is, right? See, we're expecting to see something here that's more self-aggrandizing or more self-glorifying or more self-centered. Something like what we hear from Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 of Daniel. That's listed in your outline if you read it on your own later. But let's be honest, at first glance, this verse just seems like some guy making a business plan, right? Just seems like he's making a business plan. Now, from a historical standpoint, what James is doing here is he's likely referencing Christians from the merchant class of Roman society. And these merchants were itinerant, meaning they would travel from city to city, place to place, selling goods. And that's how they made a living. So think about this. How could they possibly survive without planning where they were going to go? This verse just seems like he's being reasonable. But here's the thing. Boasting, as the NLT calls it. It's not just a matter of the tongue. It's a matter of the heart. So if you want a definition for the kind of bragging that we'll be looking at, the kind of bragging that this passage is talking about this morning, here it is. And we're going to put it up on the screen so that you can see it. Bragging is anything in any form that attributes credit or power to ourselves over God. Bragging is anything in any form that attributes credit or power to ourselves over God. Planning for the future is not a sin. But planning independent of God's will is. Take a closer look at this verse. Verse 13. We're still on verse 13. What decisions has this figurative man made on his own? Let's look at it together. He says... Today or tomorrow, so he's decided when he's going to go. We're going to go to a certain town, so he's decided where he's going to go. We will stay there a year, so he's decided how long he's going to stay on this path. We'll do business there, so he's decided once he gets there exactly what he's going to do. And we will make a profit. And that's the best one. Because he's also decided what the future outcome is going to be for himself. 
What's missing from this guy's plan? I'll tell Perry. <laughs> What's missing from this guy's plan? This man has chosen his own path over God's path for him. See, this verse, it's all about the I. I will do this. I will do that. Now, maybe some of you came in this morning, you opened up the bulletin, you looked at the insert, you saw the word bragging at the top, and you said, phew, well, I get a week off. I'm not too bad about bragging, but I can't wait for my wife to hear this, or I can't wait for my husband to hear this message. Well, first of all, if you said that, that's boasting, so you're busted. <laughs> but the truth is, we all struggle with this. Every single one of us struggle with this issue of bragging. Is there anyone else here besides me that has made a plan without seeking God's will? And I don't just mean your life plan. I mean your day-to-day -day activities. You see, bragging is not just a question of self-praise. It's a question of choosing a path. Are you going to choose your own path or are you going to choose God's path for you? That's the question. That's the question we have to answer. And at first, this verse, verse 13, seemed pretty reasonable, right? He's just making a business plan. But there's a very similar verse in the Bible, another verse, set of verses that's all about the eye, that can set this into perspective. So I want you to uh, keep James handy. We're going to be coming back to James, obviously. But go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. If you're not too familiar with the Old Testament, that's okay. Just open your Bible to just about the middle. You're probably going to hit the book of Psalms. And then you go ahead four books from that. You're going to see Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And then you'll get to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. If you're using the Bible that we use from the bookstore every week, it's on page 560. Starting in verse 13. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to the heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Who said these words? Most biblical scholars attribute these words to Satan. We believe that these are the words that Lucifer spoke just before his fall. And the word that's translated in James that describes boasting as evil is the same Greek word that Jesus uses as a title for Satan when he calls him the evil one. See, the only real difference between this passage, the one of what Satan is speaking, and the one in James, or even what we do on a daily basis, the only difference between those is that Satan is actually being more straightforward about what he's trying to do. Take God's place. Take God's place. Some of you are thinking, who invited this guy to come? But here's what you got to know. This verse, this passage, this message is for all of us, myself included. I lived this passage in James. In some areas of my life, I still live this passage in James. But I spent years running away from God. It wasn't that I didn't know the truth. I knew exactly what God had called me to do. I knew exactly where God wanted me to go. But I said no. 
I said, I will go to New York. I will make a name for myself. I will control my future, not God. It didn't work out very well. Ended up in this tiny little hovel of an apartment over a Korean restaurant. The entire building was nasty. It smelled rancid. There were cockroaches everywhere. I had to choose between sleeping on a mattress where bed bugs would feast on me or laying on the floor in front of the stove where mice would literally crawl on me at night. And finally, that led to my grand plan, the plan that I thought was better than God's, falling apart. My entire life fell apart. And I found myself one night wandering the streets of the city, not knowing if I was going to survive the night. And to be honest, I wasn't sure I wanted to. So whether you're boasting about how great you are, or your bragging takes the form of believing that you don't need God in your day-to-day -day activities, bragging is about relying on yourself instead of God. It's about choosing your own plan over God's plan. It's about trying to overthrow God's authority in favor of your own authority. The question we must constantly ask ourselves every single day as, as Christians is this. Am I worshiping the I? Or am I worshiping the one called the great I am? You see, bragging is an attempt to take God's place in your life. Bragging is an attempt to take God's place in your life. Now, obviously, there's many reasons why that's not going to work, and it's not going to work. But one of those reasons is listed in our next verse, our next verse. Some of us are saying, wasn't the first verse enough? Let's go back to James, verse 14. One of the many reasons we'll be unsuccessful in our attempt to take God's place in our life is this. How do you know what your life will be tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. This verse is a stark reminder that our earthly lives are a lot more fragile than we think that they are or that we pretend that they are. See, we can't brag about what we're going to do tomorrow because in all reality, we might not get a tomorrow. Or if we are granted a tomorrow, it might be completely turned upside down. We can never really create our own path because God alone is capable of knowing the future. That's our second point. God alone is capable of knowing the future. God says, only I can tell you the future before it happens. Isaiah 46.10. And because he's the only one who knows the future, God is the only one that can navigate the future. Put that in your notes. God is the only one who can navigate my future. See, the problem with trying to control your own life is this. You have no way of navigating a path that you know nothing about. 
We don't know the future. We don't know the future, so we make decisions and plans based on faulty emotion or, at best, incomplete information. God has the full picture, beginning to end. But we can only make choices based on what is right in front of us. God sees the whole thing. But I make choices based on this, what I'm looking at. Let me give you an example. When I ran away to New York, when I was running away from God and I went to New York, this is another genius part of my plan. I went there in the middle of the night. I showed up in Manhattan in the middle of the night at an apartment I had never seen with no job prospects, and I had no idea where I was in the city. I knew I was somewhere in Manhattan, but that's all I knew. Well, the next morning I went out. I wanted to explore my new kingdom, and that's exactly what I thought it was. I thought it was my new kingdom. But I was from New England, and I didn't quite realize that all the streets were numbered. So I thought what I should do is find a landmark, because I didn't want to get lost, and I didn't know where my apartment was. I wanted to be able to get back. So I look for a landmark. So I go to the end of the block, and I say, oh, good, a Starbucks. I'll just remember I live by the Starbucks in Manhattan. Pierce, like some of you understand where this story is going. But I wasn't as smart as you. This little country boy went to the end of the next block. And you know what I said at the end of the next block? Two Starbucks. How lucky am I? I live near the two Starbucks. Five or six Starbucks later, I was completely lost. And I had no idea where I lived. But catch this about that story. I was making plans based on what was in front of me. But without an understanding of what was down the road... I didn't know how to navigate in the here and now. See, we can all laugh at that story, but let's face it, we all do this. We do it all the time. How many of us have made a plan for the day and then had that plan completely blown up by something unexpected? Sometimes it's something small, but it can be catastrophic, can it? Consider this. If you're traveling down your own path without a knowledge of the future and something catastrophic, something terrible happens tomorrow, you have no idea where to go. You're completely lost. But if you're on the path of the one who made tomorrow, he can tell you exactly where to go and exactly what to do. He can make the path clear. Look at the verse at the top of your outline. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Proverbs 3, 6. But we don't do that. We don't do that because most of us go through life thinking tomorrow is assured. But I can tell you that we have people that come through the care department every single day who have learned that that isn't true. Their lives have been devastated, devastated by the loss of a loved one or the loss of a marriage or the loss of a job. Nothing in this world is assured. We're all just one phone call away from our entire lives being changed forever. 
And in that moment, in that moment when everything falls apart, the map that we've been making, the path that we've been trying to create, our map means nothing. Look how James describes our lives in this verse. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. The Greek word atmos that's used here, that's translated as morning fog, it can also be translated as steam or vapor. Anybody ever watch the steam roll off their coffee in the morning? I don't know about you, but the human part of me doesn't like the idea of being compared to steam. It's, it's unpredictable. You can't control it. It disappears after a couple moments. It has no substance. And that comparison between our lives and steam can be terrifying. If you're trying to make your own path. But if you use that knowledge to turn to God. It can bring incredible wisdom and direction to your life. That's why Moses prayed. Teach us to realize the brevity of life. So that we may grow in wisdom. Psalm 90 verse 12. We can't know the future. So we have to change our perspective. We have to change our focus from what we want to accomplish to what God wants to accomplish in and through us. So how do we do that? How do we change our perspective on life planning? Let's continue on to verse 15. Verse 15 in our text. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Well, that seems pretty simple, right? All we got to do is when we make a plan, just add the phrase, good Lord willing in the creek don't rise to it. And we're good. No, of course not. That's not going to work. And it's not going to work because just like everything else in our Christian walk, this is a heart issue. Good or evil, the heart informs the tongue. So this isn't about a catchphrase. This is about allowing our desires to be transformed. Do I have a desire for what I want or do I have a desire for what God wants? You see, there's an implication in this verse that we're going to seek God's will before we make plans. It's not enough to simply say, if the Lord wants me to, I'm going to go do this or that, because the key word in this verse is not want. The key word in this verse is not want. It's Lord. Circle it, underline it, put it in your notes. The key word is Lord. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
you must also accept that God has authority over your life. God has authority over your life as a Christian. But do we? We use that title, Lord, so glibly. We say Lord so glibly that it's almost lost all meaning in our culture. I breeze past it so many times when I'm reading the Bible. But that word should make us shudder. Because this word, the, the word translated Lord here, what it means is master, ruler, owner. I'll be honest with you. I don't always act like I'm owned by God. That I belong to him. Do you? Don't, don't raise your hands for that. But honestly ask yourself that question. Sometime this week dedicate yourself to read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 6 verses 19 through 20. It's listed on your outline. Read that, get in a quiet time with God and honestly ask yourself that question. Do I live my life? Like I truly belong to God. Because the truth is, we don't always remember that our lives were bought with a price when we're making decisions, do we? We don't always remember that our life was bought with a price when we're making plans. Sometimes I act like I mostly belong to me, but it's okay. I'm on standby if God ever needs me. That's not what it means to have a Lord in your life. And it's certainly, it's certainly not the right response to his sacrifice for me. When we brag about our abilities or our plans, we're essentially rejecting God. We, we would never say it out loud, but so many times when we look at Christ's sacrifice, what we say with our actions and with our hearts is I'm all on board with Jesus being my savior, but I don't know about this whole Lord of my life thing. We should be experiencing a relationship with God that allows us to hear what his path is for us every day, now, every moment. In an ongoing and personal relationship. And an ongoing conversation with him. It's not enough to say that we want God's will in our life. We have to pursue it. We have to go after it. We have to say, God, how do you want me to glorify you in this moment? God, how can I raise the kingdom in this moment? God, where do you want me to go? Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn in this circumstance? What do you want me to know about the way I'm reacting to this circumstance? We need to experience God in such a way that our perspective is changed from what we want to what God has already given. And that's his son. And that means we need to constantly see our lives and our circumstances through the sacrifice that Christ made. Thomas Hooker was one of the most prominent leaders of the Puritan movement when they came to the New World. He actually founded uh, the colony of Connecticut. 
But it was recorded that Thomas Hooker was on his deathbed and he found himself surrounded by friends. And some of these other Puritan friends, they looked at him on his deathbed and they said, Brother Hooker, you are going to receive your reward. And he corrected them. He said, no. I'm going to receive mercy. Is that our perspective? Do we see every decision that we make, every life event that happens through the lens of Christ's sacrifice? Tomorrow we're going to celebrate Independence Day. We've been celebrating this morning. And no doubt incredible sacrifices were made to win our freedom and have been made since to keep our freedom. But the day that we should call Independence Day, the day that we should celebrate as our Independence Day is the day that we surrendered to Christ. Because Christ gave a sacrifice for our eternal freedom. talking about choosing paths this morning God created a brand new path that no one could have imagined through Jesus Christ he created a new path through Jesus my path was a path of misery God's path is one of grace my path was a path of destruction God's path was one of restoration why why would we not choose his path in everything that we do in every moment of every day. See, we like to tidy it up. We like to tidy our stories up and say, God freed me from sin. Or he freed me from hell. Or he freed me from my past. But let's be honest, the thing that God freed me from, the thing that God gave me independence from, is me. Independence from constantly choosing paths that would harm myself. Independence from where that path was going to lead me. God's sovereignty and choosing God's sovereignty over our own is the only way to find the right path. Because look what verse 16 says. Otherwise, meaning... If you're not seeking God's will. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. This word boasting, it's sometimes translated as rejoice or to glorify. So do we rejoice in our own arrogant plans or do we rejoice in what God wants to do in our lives? Do we glorify what we think we're going to do or do we acknowledge the glory of the one who knows what we're going to do? Deuteronomy 10, 14 tells us that the earth, the heavens, and everything that's inside them, everything belongs to God. So how can we be so presumptuous to take credit for anything? How can we take ownership or possession of anything? See, this, this passage in James, it doesn't just say that this self-sufficiency is ill-advised. It says that it's evil. And it's evil because when we make a plan for a new business venture like the man that's in this text or 
a new family or a new project or a career change or whatever it is, when we do that on our own, we're acting as if God doesn't exist in our lives. We're rejecting his sovereignty. And in essence, we're worshiping ourselves. Verse 17. Remember, James says, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Now, this was probably a well-known maxim or saying at the time that he wrote this letter. The people who read this letter had probably heard that phrase a lot, but James is taking the opportunity to remind them that sins of omission are still sin. What does that mean? In other words, not doing what you know you should do is just as wrong as having any active sin in your life. But here's what perplexed me. When I started looking at this passage, and I accept that, I accept the sins of omission, I accept what James is saying, but at first when I started looking at this, I couldn't figure out why it was connected to these verses. Why does he say that there? I think it's because this passage isn't just calling us to stop making our own plans. It's calling, to, it's calling us to focus on God's plan for us. It's active. It's moving forward. Because God's path for your life has purpose. Make sure you hear that this morning. God's plan for your life his path for your life, it has purpose. It's not enough to stop doing things that are wrong. We have to actively participate in what God has called us to do. Make sure you get this. The fruit of the Christian life is not measured by what you stop doing. It's measured by what you start doing. If, if you look at this book of James, and you can if you look at this book of James as a laundry list of things that you're not supposed to do, you're going to miss the true beauty of what this book is about. It's about becoming closer in your relationship with God. We talked about verse 8 in the same chapter a couple weeks ago. Come close to God and he will come close to you. But in order to do that, the verse tells us we have to humble ourselves. See, the Father's purpose is to draw us closer to himself by transforming us to be more like Jesus. And through that transformation, God gives us the opportunity to impact other people's lives. It's not going to be an easy road. It's not going to be a life without trials. There will be grief. There will be suffering. There will be pain. But I can tell you this because this is what God promises, that it will be a life of purpose. Let me show you what that can look like. Stay in James, but turn to John 3, 28 through 30. This is an important, important contrast to our passage. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John.
But let me tell you what's going on here, what's leading up to this. What's happening here is that some of John the Baptist's followers have come to John the Baptist and they're upset. They're having a bad day. They're upset because people are leaving their ministry and going to Jesus to be baptized. They're upset because basically their ministry is waning. So they go to John the Baptist to find out what to do and what his thoughts are. So let's take a look at John's perspective on his path and his purpose. Starting in verse 28. John the Baptist says this. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare a way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. Look at the difference. Look at the difference in how John uses the word I compared to what we read in James and in Isaiah. John the Baptist says, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not God. I'm here to prepare a way for him. I'm filled with joy for what he accomplishes. I must become less and he has to become greater. Now John, John the Baptist had a very singular and prophetic role to fill. There's no doubt about that. But make sure you don't miss this. We actually have the same calling that John the Baptist had. The details look different in each person's life, but we are also called to prepare a way for him. He wants us to prepare a way for what Jesus wants to do in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. God wants to use us to impact the kingdom of God. That's incredible. There's something eternal God wants to do in your life. There's something eternal God wants to do in all our lives. And it's bigger than what we're trying to do on our own. It has more value than what we're trying to do on our own. It has eternal consequences. Some of you walked into this room this morning thinking that your life has no direction. That it has no purpose. Some of you walked into this room this morning thinking that your life has no value. And I don't know who you are, but God does. And maybe you haven't seen it yet, but you're wrong. God does have purpose for your life. God does have direction for your life and your life already has value to God. But we've got to surrender our pride and we've got to let God dig out of us whatever it is that makes us boastful, whatever it is that makes us self-sufficient. John the Baptist was bragging. He was actually bragging. But he was bragging in his weakness and in God's strength. Listen, above everything else, hear this, hear this. The only time 
And the only way that the word I brings anything useful to the kingdom, it's when it's in the context of saying, I was. But God is. I was broken. I was a womanizer, an alcoholic, angry. I was desperate. I was alone. I was terrified. But God is merciful. God is loving. God is hope. God is transforming me. Let's learn to brag like that. Would you stand before we pray? I want to encourage you to continue down this path. Check out our soul training that's listed in your insert. Check out the rest of the discussion guide with your friends or with your small group or even by yourself. But don't leave this room, don't leave this church if God is speaking to you. If you've been trying to fight your way down your own path and you're realizing this morning that it's not working, we will have counselors down front here after the service and also in the care connection room out by the information booth. We'll also have pastors available. Don't push down what God is trying to tell you this morning. Father God, we thank you. For what you're doing to speak to us this morning. We thank you that in the areas of our life, despite our past, despite our current mistakes, that you see a future for us, that you see purpose for us, that you see value for us. I pray a blessing on each person here, Lord. May we be transformed by your words. And may we moment by moment be reminded that we should be choosing your path over our own. In the name of Christ, who is our King and our Savior and sacrificed everything for us. Amen.